Raymond's right. Raymond and I are buddies. We are. I like him better than most of you. I'm kidding. Today, as I continue the series on the Holy Spirit, I'm reading from Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, and 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 through 33. Starting with Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Amen? Amen. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. What is the will of God? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you, all, for you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. New Testament worship was spirit-infused worship. In many churches today, people are often mistrustful of anything that smacks of the Spirit's direct input into a worship service. And we know the reason. The main reason is, is because we're afraid. Afraid of losing control, of us losing control. I like what Jim Cimbala related. He said this, Not long ago, I was speaking at a large church, and I was waiting in the green room for the evening service to start. Yes, we have a green room too has nothing to do with this, so. The people in charge handed me a copy of their run sheet, basically a schedule of what would happen when and when and who was supposed to do it. The leader reviewed it with all of us in the green room. Okay, the praise and worship team will take 15 minutes. We'll follow that with a missions video that runs for 4 minutes and 40 seconds. The soloists will sing for 4 minutes and 10 seconds. And then we'll have announcements for 2 and a half minutes. After that, we'll proceed with prayer for the offering. Bob, you make sure you don't pray more than one minute because the last time you went a minute and 30 seconds. The leader then turned to Simbala and said, and after the offering, John, you will, John will introduce you for 90 seconds and then you'll have 25 minutes to speak. For the sake of time, Simbala said, why not skip my introduction and just use one sentence to introduce me? No, 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 we can't do that. It's all written right out here. Well, if it's okay, can I lead the people in a time of prayer when I finish, even though it's not scheduled? No, we've got the choir singing a patriotic medley after you finish. And it wasn't so much the tightly wound service that struck me as odd, Simbala said. That's commonplace now, unfortunately. It was the prayer the leader offered after he finished going over the schedule. Oh, Spirit of God, he said, come and move among us with blessing and power. Have your way as we yield ourselves to you. The spirit moving among us, Simbala said, yielding to him. Even God couldn't break into that schedule. Sure enough, he said, the schedule went off without a hitch. The run sheet was followed exactly. And although we had a church meeting, Simbala said, I don't think many people had a meeting with God by the time it was over. 
Sadly, Symbala says, I have learned that many church leaders themselves have never experienced the awesomeness of God's presence themselves. They are basically technicians. They know how to do church. They know how to keep it moving, upbeat, funny, technically impressive, with excellence in music. The worship of God is thus reduced to little more than a well-rehearsed production. Time for openness to the Spirit, free-flowing praise or prayer. This is anathema to the contemporary church. To have unscripted time in which the Holy Spirit might manifest himself so that people could actually experience God himself rather than just facts about him is unthinkable. That would take the control out of our hands and the well-rehearsed production would be ruined if God actually broke into a church service. No wonder so many are leaving the church and Christianity is declining, Symbala says. We don't seem to want God himself to visit us. We would rather have the human rather than the divine. The main goal of worship, brothers and sisters, is to have an encounter with God Almighty this morning. We have been given new abilities, abilities given by the Spirit that enables us to sense how He is moving. Jesus said it in John 14, You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. A key part of worship is tuning into the Spirit's movements right here, right now. Often worship services, even in Bible-believing Orthodox teaching church services, are ungodly. By that, I don't mean people are against God or behaving the wrong way or believing the wrong things. What I mean is that we can get so focused on schedules, on rituals, on performance, that we ignore the Holy Spirit operating right in our midst. It's possible to sing amazing grace in an ungodly way, ignoring the Spirit. It's possible to preach a biblically sound sermon in an ungodly way, ignoring God's presence and power and not depending on Him as you preach. The Spirit is here to make the presence of the Lord real. And our job is to experience what he's doing, what he's revealing, how he's moving. As one writer put it, to be conscious of the Holy Spirit solves about 90% of our problems right there. If the Spirit says be silent in a worship service, we need to shut up. If the Spirit takes worship to a higher level and, and, and we have to go a little longer, why don't we go a little longer? If the Spirit changes my sermon, I change. He changed it last sermon. (laughs) If the Spirit causes you to cry, don't fight back the tears. To rejoice, you rejoice. To shout, you shout. To kneel, you kneel. To pray, we have to wait on the Lord in a worship service. Oh, but that's scary stuff. I can tell you stories, you know, and, you know, some of you are saying of, of things that got out of control and weird stuff that happened. Guess what? So can I. And my stories are better than yours. But we cannot quench the Spirit because someone somewhere got in the flesh and did something stupid or bizarre. The deadliest opposition to the Holy Spirit moving isn't from outside the church. It's from inside the church. It's our fear of the Spirit and what He might do. Our fear of getting a little emotional. Our fear of of out-of-controlness that quenches the Spirit. Not the world. Please hear this. We are not here today primarily as thinkers or theologians, although those things are important. 
we are here today as lovers. Why? Because God is love. And God, through his spirit, is here to pour his love on us and in us. It's ridiculous to think that if God is pouring his love on us, we won't get a little emotional about it. Worship encompasses our whole being, mind and soul and heart and will. We need to experience what the Spirit is bringing us right from the throne of heaven, right in here. The Spirit and our sensitivity to the Spirit makes that possible. We're not here just to learn about God, but to enjoy the presence of God. Our prayer this morning should be that what, what is in our heads becomes a living reality in our lives. And the Spirit was sent to do just that. So here's my encouragement this morning. Open up, buttercup. (laughs) All through this service, your spirit should be open to the Holy Spirit. Praying with the Spirit that Jesus be glorified, that lives be changed, that souls be saved. Your spirit should be praying all through this service, receiving that you would receive what he wants you to have, especially his love, especially his truth, and then you love him back, and that is called worship. I like what Calvin Miller says. He said, you know, there are three things that help optimize being open to the Spirit in a worship service. And the first is this. You have to come ready to have an affair with Jesus Christ when you come to worship Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit is in business for Jesus. He comes upon all those who seek the Savior and crave the Savior's love. Did you come that way this morning? Second, he prefers a confessional and honest atmosphere. There's no use playing games with the Holy Spirit. He knows it all anyway. Come open and honest. And third and most important, he comes to those who seek to yield to his love. He seeks those who eagerly make obedience their passion. Because God just doesn't come to tickle your innards. He came to change you this morning. I have a friend who was at Asbury when the great Asbury Revival broke out in Wilmore, Kentucky. It started when towards the end of a required chapel service, which was dead and dry. Any Messiah students here this morning? You ever been to a required, dead, never mind. (laughs) In the middle of this chapel service, something totally unexpected happened. One student rose in the middle of the chapel and publicly asked another student that he had wronged for forgiveness in front of the entire student body. The other student rose, and both students, the forgiver and the forgiven, walked to the altar and embraced in front of everybody. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit broke loose at Wilmore, Kentucky. Soon two other students walked to the front, broken by their sin. Then two more went to the altar, weeping. Then four more, then fifty Soon the altar overflowed with hundreds of students confessing to each other long-held secrets and seeking forgiveness and repentance. Students, sometimes as low as a hundred, sometimes as many as a thousand, prayed, wept, confessed, reconciled, repented, worshipped for six straight weeks, 24 hours a day in that chapel. Think about that. There were at least a hundred people in there Day and night for six weeks. The spirit of renewal spread to other campuses worldwide. People are still talking about it. Oh, and I need to add this. In that revival, my friend told me that it was very quiet 
There was very little shouting or physical displays of a lot of stuff we normally associate with spirit-filled, world-shaking movements of God. But there were lots of tears, lots of prayer, lots of brokenness, lots of healing, lots of confession. It was deeply felt despite the lack of volume. Paul writes that how to do church in Ephesians today. And the first thing he says is be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you will worship. You will begin to talk and sing and reflect on psalms, on, on the Word of God. You will begin to sing hymns, songs written for God, to God. And you may even begin to sing songs in the Spirit. At least you'll sing songs with the Spirit, in the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will worship because you cannot be Spirit-filled and not worship. The Spirit is sent expressly to glorify Jesus Christ. And if we are in the Spirit, so will we. Praise will come from deep within you. The body of Christ, you see, is divided on this. There are churches that are biblically centered who want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And there are people, there are churches that are spirit-centered and centered on experience where often things go on that shouldn't go on. We need balance here. We need both the Word and the Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus said? He's talking to the woman at the well and he said, listen, one day, one day when people worship, they will worship God in spirit and in truth, both and. We are to engage the Spirit with our minds as well as our emotions. We need reason as well as experience. It is not either or. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is trying to bring the needed balance to the church at Corinth. The, the church at Corinth had all kinds of supernatural activity going on. There were tongues and interpretations, prophecies and revelations. And Paul, did you notice when all of this was going on, what we would probably consider chaotic today, Paul was not trying to stop it. He was merely trying to direct it. Why? Because he wants the Spirit to move, but he doesn't want chaos. He tells them, God, in this, in this scripture, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. The Spirit can and will move, but things must be done, in a, as he says in verse 40, in a fitting and orderly way. Or as it says in King James, decently in order. Anything that is disorderly or chaotic, is not in the Spirit. Alec Rollins is a pastor in a church out west, and he said one day a woman walked into his office and said, I have a word from God about this church, for this church. And he asked her what it was. And she said, God told me to tell everyone here that they must destroy all of their credit cards. Then she, she said, this is urgent. It must be shared with the congregation as soon as possible. And she wanted to do it. And it is true, some people can't handle credit cards. You know who you are. And I've advised some people to cut theirs up. But credit cards are not inherently evil and forbidden to all Christians. Just the interest rates. <laughs> Pastor Rollins told the woman as much, and the woman wasn't happy. But nevertheless, she went to the front of the church to prophesy anyway. And even though the pastor told her not to do it, and suddenly the ushers were running to the pastor saying, this woman, and it's a church of about 1,300, and, and the, they said, this woman's out there standing in the church, and she's going to tell everybody to cut up their credit cards. 
And so the pastor went out and he got an inch from her ear and he said firmly, you are not in the spirit, you are in the flesh and you are leaving with me right now. And he said as he walked that woman out of the sanctuary, the woman proved just how out of the spirit she was. She told Pastor Rollins, God did not put you in this church. Man did. And a wasting disease will take you out. I've had people say mean things to me, but I've never told, no one's ever said a wasting disease will take me out. You will die of cooties. Oh, no. The Bible says test the spirits to see if they be from God. How do you do that? First, it's very simple. Is what, being, is what that is being said scripture or in line with scriptural principles? If someone walks into this church and says, God told me to wear a bikini to church, you do not have to go, oh, Jesus, is that true or not? The Word of God says we are to dress modestly. We already know the answer. You don't need to pray about it. Get out of here and get some clothes on. It's that simple. Second principle is this. Is it God-glorifying? Or is it just someone drawing attention to themselves? Sometimes that's what happens. Or is it just weird and stupid? I remember I went to a college that was not from my background. Uh, it, it was a spirit-filled college, and I remember the first that we had little revivals at the start of each semester. It was the first one, first time I'd been to one of these things. And I was sitting beside a girl I'd never met, didn't know her name, and suddenly she jumped up and did this blood-curdling scream right in the middle of worship. I soon joined her, but for an entirely different reason. And I said to her in front of the entire student body, I said, don't you ever do that again. She scared my liver out. I grew up Presbyterian. Presbyterians don't handle screams well. We just don't. I was taught that the best way to be a good Presbyterian is to sit there and work real hard at doing nothing. And I was good at it. Anyway, if it's weird... I mean, can you imagine standing in front of Jesus just going, ah, that's not how that, that's not God glorifying. If it's not God glorifying, don't do it. And finally, when it comes to whatever happens in a church in the name of the Spirit, the question is, is this person teachable and open to correction? Are they working with those in authority? Any person that says, I don't care what the pastors say. I don't care what leadership says. They're already not in the Spirit. The leadership of this church is charged with discernment about what's going on. Part of my ministry is to say, is this of the Spirit or not? That's what Paul was doing in the Corinthian church in the passage we read. Directing worship and discerning how the Spirit moved. Instructing what was proper and what wasn't. That is what leadership is charged with in every church. And at this point I need to say one more thing. Even though worship in the spirit clearly involves our emotions as well as our mind. Our goal in worship is not some sort of emotional experience. Our goal is to worship Jesus Christ. We do not pursue God for the sake of getting some emotional high. We pursue him because he is God and because he is Savior and because he is good. I know some Christians who are experienced junkies running from one emotional fix to the other. 
They're not seeking God. They're seeking excitement for the sake of excitement. They're adrenaline addicts. One pastor I met said, uh, said he knew a 70-year-old missionary woman who had served for 45 years in Argentina. She was a mentor to him. He said, I never heard her ask God for any evidence of his reality. But even in prayer, she begged God to give her more of himself. She had fire. She had fire, this, this passion, this, this, this incredible love for God. And it was in her life continually. Fire to accomplish all that God wanted done. She burned. Have you ever run into people that just burn? Yet never once did she ask to burn or for the fire. She always begged God for his power. It seems that emotion and fire is a byproduct. If you want fire, this pastor said, you often get nothing. But if you want God with all your heart, the fire will be yours without the asking. With God's presence comes God, everything else. As Augustine said 1,600 years ago, not your gifts, Lord, but you. Or as Jesus put it, seek ye first God and his kingdom. Everything else you need will come after that. We worship God, not how we feel. Finally, Paul says in Ephesians, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God the Father for everything. When you are in the Spirit, you know one of the ways you can know you're in the Spirit? You're grateful. You're grateful. When you're in the Spirit, you see the goodness of God all around you. When you're in the Spirit, you realize all of God's gifts to you are not accidents. One of the sad ironies of Western civilization is that we have more stuff than anyone in the history of the world, and we are among some of the least grateful people in the world. We live in an entitled society. Have you noticed we live in an entitled society? Remember the Snow White, Disney Snow White, and the, the seven dwarves went, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go? Our song is, I am owed, I am owed, sometimes to work I'll go. I would have sung that for you, but it might have caused things. Anyway, the, but the more you think you're entitled to, the less grateful you are. The Bible says that at the heart of sinful human beings is ingratitude. Paul writes in Romans, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile. Part of the problem of humanity is we got proud and we felt like we were entitled. We felt like we were owed. We're not the receivers of pure grace every moment. And the Bible says that ingratitude warped our minds. Ingratitude is part of the fallen nature. Remember that this Thanksgiving and every other day of your life. The spirit-filled person does spirit-filled worship, and one of the first things to be recovered in spirit-filled worship is you regain your sense of gratitude. Gratitude for God himself. Gratitude for what Jesus did. Let me ask you a question. What mindset did you come to church in this morning? Were you prepared to worship? Were you in the spirit when you hit here this morning? 
I find often the very opposite happens. Calvin Miller said often he finds himself coming to church if he doesn't watch it in a critical spirit. He said, I've often gone into church with a huge spiritual chip on my shoulder. I do not brag about this. I confess it in shame. Who can say why any of us goes to church in a bad mood? Any of you ever gone to church in a bad mood? Can I see your hands? Those of you who are not raising your hands, you come to the altar, you know why. <laughs> Maybe we got up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe we're sweltering from earlier emotional hangovers, things gone wrong at work. Maybe a family member's comment on the way to church has drenched us in self-pity and made us angry. But there we sit in the presence of God, snarling and growling. I wonder how many are snarling and growling with a smile on their face this morning. He said, I have found on such mornings that nothing suits me that goes on in a worship service. I find things misspelled in the worship bulletin, like, you know, how could they misspell church? A woman in the choir has over-dyed her hair, and purple's not a natural color anyway. If you have purple hair, I apologize. Lynn Taylor came up to me after the first service. She's dyed her hair blue, and that's much better than purple. And... Uh, the alto soloist sounds too nasal. The preacher should have studied more before he came out to preach. Amen. And then the praise begins, he says. Dumb songs. Listen how the choir mumbles the songs. Listen how the associate pastor splits every infinitive during the announcements. Look at how little the man in the bro next to you put in the offering plate. He ought to feel ashamed. I will glare at him. More praise. And suddenly we feel ourselves starting to be lifted up. We suddenly feel ourselves starting to be caught in the spirit. And now somehow church doesn't seem quite as dumb as it did when we first sat down. The more we sing, the better the overly dyed lady in the choir looks. Purple can be attractive. Gradually the church seems better and all things offensive look tolerable. Why? Because somehow the Spirit is reaching us. We are being changed. That's what praise in the Spirit does to us. It scrapes away our negative spirits. When the Spirit moves, we are changed. When the Spirit moves, we praise. When the Spirit moves, we are grateful. When the Spirit moves, we have joy. And what are we grateful for? We have so much to be grateful for, don't we? I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for Jesus Christ, aren't you? I'm grateful that Jesus came here for you and me 2,000 years ago and laid in a manger. I'm grateful that Jesus hung on a cross for you and me and took our sins, became our sin. I'm grateful that he was resurrected, and now he stands by the right-hand throne of God in living prayer for every one of us. He lives to pray for all of us. I'm grateful for salvation so freely given that God gave to me 43 years ago, and it keeps getting better and better. I'm thankful for the Spirit here this morning making Jesus real to us. I'm thankful for all of you, the body of Christ, surrounding and supporting and praying for me. I'm grateful for heaven waiting for me that no matter what happens, the best is yet to come. I am grateful for the breath that I was given this morning. I am grateful that every need has been provided so far in my life. I didn't get everything I wanted, but I sure got everything I needed, even when I didn't want it. As Thornton Wilder put it, we are most alive when our hearts are conscious of our treasures. 
The Holy Spirit makes our hearts conscious of all these treasures. Worship the Lord in the Spirit. Let the Spirit reveal Christ to you and His generosity and His love and all those treasures because all we need to worship, really, all we need to worship is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, each other, and the Word in some form. That's all we need, you know? And let me tell you this. Even if the music is not to your liking, you worship God anyway. You know why? Because Jesus is great even if the music isn't. That came out wrong. <laughs> but but I, sometimes when it comes to worship, people make an idol of music. Have you noticed? It's like if I don't get this kind of song or this kind of song, if, I, if, 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 if they don't sing what I want or the way I want it or if they're just not very good or whatever it is, if the, if the music isn't what I need, I'm not worshiping. That is an idol. Jesus is worthy of praise whether you like the music or not. And the sermon, let's talk about the sermon. I don't like the sermon. He keeps talking about the Holy Spirit week after week. I am till you get it. <laughs> and he hollers too much. I don't like that he hollers. I'm from high church and he hollers. I'm going to holler some more. You do not worship the sermon. You worship Jesus Christ and the Spirit is here to help you worship Jesus Christ. Whether the sermon's good or lousy or your taste to your taste or not or in a subject you like or not, Jesus is worthy of our praise. And even, even if it's been a bad week, even if you had a terrible week, is Jesus still worthy of your praise? Too many Christians worship their feelings instead of Jesus. Oh, if I feel bad, well, I'm not going to worship Jesus. He let me down. Is Jesus great and good and wonderful and got you this far or not? Are you going to heaven because of him or not? Did he die for you or not? The point is, is we don't worship ourselves and our feelings. We worship the living God. You know, it kind of makes you wonder how, how the New Testament church made it. They didn't have projection. They didn't have electronic equipment. They didn't have sound systems. They didn't even have church buildings. And get this, get this. They didn't even have Bibles. The only Bible they had was an Old Testament. Most of them for the first 50 years didn't even have a New Testament. And yet they turned the world upside down. And yet they brought Rome to its knees. And yet they did things we haven't done yet. They lived ways that were exemplary. The, what they, what they, a New Testament worship service was people coming together for Jesus and they might sing one or two little choruses, but they prayed together, they worshiped together, they shared what God was doing in their life together. They had a teacher who would bring the oral tradition, interpret to them who Jesus was, because again, they didn't have a Bible. They did all the stuff we think is absolutely essential to worship God. They had almost none of it. And they did a heck of a lot better than the modern church and Western civilization is doing. We have, when it comes to worship, we have too many idols, and we have to give them up, you know? And, I don't, and here's the other thing. It's just, it drives me crazy. It's like people are going in our consumer society. I'm coming to church, and I'm doing you a favor, and I'm going to put a dollar in a plate, and I'm doing you a favor. 
and I will worship Jesus if you can get me to, if you move me enough, or if you sing well enough, or if you preach well enough, or if you, you know, if the, could, if the pews are cushy enough, or what, I will, I will praise Jesus if you can get me to do it. That is exactly the wrong attitude for coming to church. You should be, what did Paul say? Be filled with the Spirit. You get filled with the Spirit before you come to church. You decide to worship Christ before you come to church. You decide to to listen to the Holy Spirit and move with the Spirit before you come to church. If you have to come in here, you know, most people come in and say, okay, let's see what you got. That's the terrible attitude. Jesus Christ is alive and worthy and good and pure. Jesus is alive and he is our Savior. Jesus is alive and he is our Lord and our coming King. No matter what happens in church, are you prepared to worship him on a Sunday morning? That's the point. That's the point. Now, I didn't, uh, in the first service, that all came out and I hadn't planned that. Like I said, if the Holy Spirit tells me, from here on out, I'm going to, I just want you to, I want you to know from here on out, I am going to do what the Spirit says. And is that scary? Well, yeah, it kind of scares me. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, we have to make room for the Spirit to move in our services. We have to make room for prayer. We have to make room for worship. We have to. We have to be open in ways we have not been open to the Spirit. And again, I'm not saying we're going to do somersaults down the aisle. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that if the Spirit tells me to shut up and not preach a sermon, I'm going to shut up and not preach a sermon, and we'll worship the Lord. If the Spirit tells me to change what I'm saying, I'm going to change what I'm saying. If, if the worship goes a little long and the, because the Spirit's moving, we're going to let the worship go along. If we have to blow up the schedule some Sundays, we'll blow up the schedule. If the Spirit, that's the criteria, if the Spirit is moving. Amen? Amen. Now, if you don't like that, I'll be gone in three years. <laughs> You can fire me in three and a half years, and I'll take it. <laughs> but I want you to know, I want you to know, we, we have got to get serious about the Spirit in our worship services and in our churches. Amer- There's 3,000 churches closing every year in America. We are losing ground, and it's like Jim Simbala said, it's happening because... Not because we won't let sinners in our church. It's happening because we won't let Jesus in our churches through the Spirit. We have, there's no substitute for direct contact with God. We are here to worship God Almighty. If we're not here for that, we're not here for the right reason. That's all I got to say. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Now I want you... Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and you can go home. But your homework assignment for next week is this. Prepare yourself to worship before you drag yourself in here. Okay? Prepare. Ask for the Spirit to fill you. Ask for the Spirit to lead you in worship. Become prepared that you have decided to worship no matter what happens. 
and you want something, that, who knows what will happen if, that, if, the, if the great majority of people do that, who knows what will happen here. Amen. Okay? That's your homework assignment. I'll be able to tell. <laughs> I have cameras in every room. Okay? So I'm going to pray. You do your homework assignment. If, after I'm done praying, the altar will be open. I know some of you have to leave because of time commitments and children and all the things that go on. Go in peace. All I'm, but if you need to stay and pray, the intercessors will be up front praying. If you just need to sit and talk with God and get some business done with God, you can do that too. Or you can leave. So I'm going to pray, and then you go where you need to go. And we'll see some of you at the altar. Lord Jesus, bless us this day. Send us out, Lord, and help us to decide to become worshipers. Help us to decide to be open to the Spirit. Help us to decide, Lord, whether we're serious about this or not. Lord, next Sunday, may the glory of Christ explode in this place. May praise reach to the heavens in this place. May people be sensitive to you in ways they haven't been in a long time. In Jesus' name, lead us in spirit-led worship. And God's people say, amen and amen. You may stand and you may go and do what you need to do.